Welcome to Home and Identity, a podcast examining the meaning of these words in the lives of immigrants and expats. I am your host and producer of this podcast, Sarah Tori. My guest Agnes left Hong Kong after the 2019 protests and a tragic event that followed, which affected her on a very personal level. She shared her perspectives on these events and the challenges that she was forced to face with before and since the protests. She requested to remain anonymous for this podcast, and I appreciate your understanding. Now let's have a listen. Hi, Agnes. Thank you so much for joining me and welcome to this show. Can you please introduce yourself and tell everybody where you were born and raised and uh, your age range? Okay. Uh, Yeah. Hi, Sarah. (laughs) Hi, everyone out there. I'm Agnes. I'm from Hong Kong, born and raised in Hong Kong, actually. And currently, I'm based in the Netherlands. And I think I just moved here less than two years ago, around two years ago. And I'm currently living with my partner in the Netherlands. My partner is British, but he he has been living in the Netherlands for so long that he speaks perfect Dutch. And, and mm-hmm. he's also Dutch now, British Dutch. Yeah, he claims to still remain British, but I think he's more <laughs> Dutch than British nowadays. <laughs> yeah, and um, I'm 31 and yeah. Very good. Awesome. So um we were talking a couple of weeks ago about your um, background coming from Hong Kong and uh, the situation surrounding you uh, that basically uh, ended up in you moving to the Netherlands and uh, the reasons why and how that move has been for you and so on. Um, but before we get to that really um, interesting topic, of course, um, <laughs> Can you tell me a little bit about your childhood back in Hong Kong? Um, what was it like growing up there? Um, what was the education system like? What language uh, do you speak? And also, um, sort of climate-wise, paint me a picture of what it was like. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's actually a difficult question because for people who who are I mean, basically from Hong Kong, for for people originally from Hong Kong, usually we would imagine Hong Kong to be a very big international city. Like if you go everywhere in the world and you tell people, oh, I'm from Hong Kong, then people would already know what is Hong Kong. Like where is Hong Kong? What do Hong Kong people do, etc. But then um, I I grew up having this kind of um, imagination. But then Mm -hmm. I very soon I started realizing, no, people outside of Hong Kong don't care about Hong Kong at all. Because too many people, they, they just real they, they just understand Hong Kong is part of China and Hong Kong mm-hmm. may be very international, but still they're China. So I think um, growing up, um, I have a lot of local friends and we kind of lived in this like Hong Kong bubble. We thought Hong Kong is very big, international, like um, everyone is like doing their own thing, like as if like they were in New York or London, that kind of cities. But mm-hmm. then um, I... Uh, I think I started working in some British and French companies and then I realized um, there are lots of expats, international people. Um, they, of course, they, they decided to, to come to Hong Kong to work and live and of course they, they will understand what is Hong Kong actually. Um, but they will also kind of make me realize that um, Hong Kong is not that important internationally um, and also coming I mean, I'm, I'm someone coming from a very big traditional Chinese family, actually. Mm-hmm. My parents, they're also um, born and raised in Hong Kong. But the thing is, um, we are very traditional, let's say. Um, okay. And, and it's not very easy for me to, to, to imagine myself, like, culturally to be in an f- entirely different place. So mm-hmm. in Hong Kong, you speak Cantonese and sometimes you speak English and... and but still, you you wouldn't think that you are you are. If I if I had to move to another country, I could just like comfortably blend in, etc. So mm-hmm. when I was younger, I already had this um, ambition, maybe to say ambition, maybe to try to live like outside of Hong Kong for a while. And then when I was doing university, I lived in Australia for six months, just doing an exchange program, and that I think that really opened my eyes 
um, because my family, um, if you Google it, my family actually um, is one of the, let's say, original families in Hong Kong. It's not a, okay. it's not a very rich family, but if you search my, my, my last name, for example, if you search it on, on uh, Wikipedia or Google, it will tell you that it's one of the first settlements in Hong Kong, something okay. like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So coming from this kind of background and um, to me, it's like it's not very easy to convince my family, especially my parents, that uh, maybe we should just try our luck somewhere else, not in Hong mm-hmm. Kong, not in Asia, but and I and another entirely different culture. Right. So growing up, uh, me and my siblings, um, we we kind of we always wanted to get out, but we mm-hmm. never had the chance. We never had the let's say approval because when you're in yeah. such a big family, everything has to be approved to uh, yeah, have, everything has to be approved by your parents. Um, and but then I, as I said, I started working uh, for some British and French companies back in Hong Kong. And then mm-hmm. this ambition, this urge to leave Hong Kong, grew bigger and bigger every day. Yeah. And and then um, in twenty nineteen, uh, something very big happened in Hong Kong, and mm-hmm. it kind of changed my life on a very personal level uh, yeah. in so many ways. And I think that's that's when I decided I, I had to leave Hong Kong. There's there's absolutely no reason for me to stay in Hong Kong anymore. Mm-hmm. And yep. So we'll definitely um, <laughs> after 2019 and and afterwards for sure. Um, but a couple of questions uh, from what you just mentioned about uh, your background. So you mentioned that your parents are very traditional uh, Chinese family, and they were one of the first families that basically settled in Hong Kong. Can you elaborate on that a little bit more and tell me what is that uh, traditional sense in your family? What does that mean for you in your family? Mm, I think first of all would be um, on a personal level, there would be very small things. Like, mm-hmm. for example, if, if, any one of us, like me and my siblings, if any one of us wanted to move out just to have our own apartment, just to live our own life without like the support or the help with, from the parents or from other family members, my parents would definitely say no. They mm-hmm. wouldn't even approve of this action. Even, even if I had enough money, I had enough savings, I had a stable job, I wanted to live my own life, they wouldn't even say yes. They would just try to trap you in the same house with them so they can kind of like monitor you like spy on you all the time so Very, what is the repercussion yeah. then like if you i mean if you obviously have left uh is it something like they would pretty much disown you or they would cast you out of the family um what what is the yeah I think it's just a lot of mental pressure. Like they would, yeah. they would keep saying very bad things to you, like very negative things. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how to put it in English, but basically they they would make you feel like they are the victims. But I see. Yeah, I think they'll trip you of, into not moving. Yeah. Out. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Lots yeah. of more details like this, and and on on the maybe social level, I would say maybe on the social or more like how to put like economic level would be for mm-hmm. example my family would receive money from the government from time to mm-hmm. time because right. being one of the first um families um in hong kong um when hong kong became i mean after the the handover um the a lot of traditions remained in hong kong because the chinese or the hong kong government didn't want to change anything and one of these traditions um, is when the British government was like still ruling Hong Kong, etc. Um, right. They didn't want to start a fight or start a war with these very traditional, very original families. So they mm-hmm. had this agreement, um, the government would give you money from time to time. So even if you don't work, you, you basically receive money from the government for doing nothing because you, you're just because of your family. Right. And, and this still remains even today. And for my parents or for my older family members, they of course they would like this kind of arrangement because it's free money. Who doesn't love free money? Exactly. For me and my siblings, for for us younger people, um, I think at some point in our lives we realize that in Hong Kong there's so many things that are unfair to other people, especially to the to the unprivileged, to the poor people. Um, 
And to me, if I have a stable job, I have a stable income. I don't need that kind of money from the government. And if I, it was entirely up to me, I would say no. But mm-hmm. then the values um, within the same family could be very different. My parents would never say no to free money. But for me, it's like if if I can earn that money by myself, I don't necessarily want to take it from, let's say, the taxpayers or other people in need. Right. And that I think it's, yeah, it's a lot of small co- conflicts here and there. And then that eventually drove us out of this family in many ways, maybe physically, maybe some of us moved out, or maybe even if we, we were still living in the same place, we wouldn't actually agree with each other. I see. So with that, um, of course, as you grew up and were exposed to other cultures and other uh, ways of thinking your values became different from your parents and uh, those gaps get wider and wider um, I would imagine as you're um, now living in Europe and um, are very much uh, physically also separated from them but going a bit further back um, in your childhood uh, can you tell me a little bit about that and was it a comfortable childhood for you Uh, did you have uh, access to free education was it um, openly available to you and also you mentioned that Hong Kong itself is quite international there um, at one point was under British ruling and also there are a lot of uh, foreign companies that operate out of Hong Kong Um, how is that um, also an effect in your uh, upbringing basically as you were exposed to these bits and parts of international culture as a child living in a traditional family? I would say my childhood was actually rather easy compared to a lot of people in Hong Kong, a lot of young people in Hong Kong, because um, basically when I when I was young, I already knew that um, my family wouldn't have any economic problems, like we wouldn't need to live paycheck to paycheck. Um, and compared to some of my classmates back then, I would say I, I never needed to worry about money. And some of mm-hmm. them, they, they started working part time very early on, even when they were maybe like 14 or 15 years old. And I think a lot of um, um, these kind of facts, like small facts here and there, when I was growing up, when I was younger, um, it already kind of showed me or painted me a picture of how different it could be. Um, mm. living in Hong Kong for people who have money and people who don't have money. Yeah. And I think this is especially obvious when 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 I started working with international people, expats, because like those people they may not actually come from money, but because they work um I mean they, they came from maybe Europe or the US, they came from a culture that can be perceived as rich, usually mm-hmm. normally. And mm-hmm. They, they could just get a lot of privilege when when they were living in Hong Kong. Like you, you can really like see different ways of interaction or how how these people are treated if they're poor or if they're rich or they're perceived to be rich. And I think a lot of these kind of interactions really um, affected me in a way that I I don't want to be just a rich person or something like that yeah, of course yeah. everyone wants to be rich but it's yeah it's, sure yeah. sometimes yeah, it's not about money of course makes yeah. it comfortable but yeah it's not all about that um so from from what i'm understanding is um there are social gaps um within um the population in hong kong just living there um do you have uh, in hong kong do, do you also see uh defined social classes as somebody being poor and not having, for instance, the opportunities to um, rise above that um, difficult financial situation to be able to get themselves out of poverty and make something out of themselves? Or is it more um, in a situation that if you were born into a poor family, this is pretty much it for you for the rest of your life and there are not very many opportunities presented to you to be able to grow um, and make your life better is which one is that I think Hong Kong is 
a rather maybe it's complicated, maybe it's complex, but actually it's also kind of simple if you if you think about it on on two levels. The first level would be um, if you're born into a rich family, then of course you you're basically born into resources and money, and 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 it'll be very easy for you to move um, between different classes um, to become whatever you want, whoever mm-hmm. you want. Um, but in Hong Kong, it's also on another level. You have so many opportunities that are not really. I, I wouldn't say those are real opportunities, but those opportunities kind of um, trick you into thinking that it will help you move up. The social class. So I would say, for example, Hong Kong, like basically, is so capitalist that it encourage. I think maybe the US is also similar. It encourages <laughs> oh, <yeah>. you. <laughs> We're very capitalist. <laughs> the, the whole the whole place is just trying to encourage you to spend money, even if you don't have the money. Yeah. So for for people who are not born into wealth, not born into rich families, it's actually very easy for them to get money from the bank. They can just make a loan. They can just borrow money very, very easily. In I, I, I would imagine in Europe, you have some sort of um, credit system. And in the US, you also have the credit score. If you don't have a proper credit score, you can't even get money from the bank. But in Hong Kong, like, even if you have no credit history, if you have very low credit scores, you could still borrow money from the bank. So I think for people that are not necessarily rich or from a rich family, rich background, or who don't even have a proper job, for certain periods in their life, if they want, they can they can trick themselves into believing that they're rich, into believing mm-hmm. that they are something that they actually are not. But then after that bubble has been, um, how do you put it in English? Like broken, First. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, burst. Yeah, and then they would realize that oh, I'm still that person from the maybe let's say the lower social mm. class, and I actually I, I I would never have the opportunities to move up. And what's the worst is um when when those fake opportunities were given to me, and then I took it. Um, for example, maybe I borrowed money from from banks, but then that money I would never be able to repay, and right, it actually right. drives you further down in the social class. And yeah, I think it's kind of like um, an image that Hong Kong wants to make people believe, not just people inside of Hong Kong, but also people outside of Hong Kong to believe that Hong Kong is full of opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually the social class or the, the whole um, political or economical economic environment here is actually not giving you any opportunities. It shows you yeah. things and pathways to, to actually... Tr- drive you further down i don't know how to mm, put it properly. no that makes sense that makes sense so it's more of a beautiful picture from the outside but once you get yeah. into the details of it it's not that um that lovely to to see so that so with the financial situation um and not checking any sort of background credit history or anything like that <laughs> and then offering you money yeah that's of course a, a really terrible spiral downward spiral to get into of course how about education? Is education available to everybody? And would people from uh, lower social classes or uh, poorer families have the same kind of opportunity as those who are in a more comfortable status, basically, to have an education, to go to universities and better themselves, maybe through education? Yeah, I think education is also quite similar to what I just described. Um, in Hong Kong, technically on paper, like education is free, and even mm-hmm. if you you go to a university, a local university to study, um, the tuition fee is like very very cheap, even cheaper than in Europe actually for local people of course, and and it looks so cheap, so free on paper, but the division, um, the gap between the good universities and the kind of let's say bad universities, um, the the gap is so big that even if you manage to get into a university, if you don't graduate from a good university, if I work in human resources or if, I, if I'm a boss, I'm, an, I'm a potential employer, let's say, I look at your CV, I see that, oh, you are not graduated from a good university. I wouldn't even choose you. Like you, ah, so you don't even give the job opportunity if yeah. it's not coming from a certain prestigious university. Yeah. So okay. this is also kind of like, like the beautiful picture it's just yeah yeah it's, it's not actually real but um to keep 
I would say like to keep the whole um society, the whole place. I wanted to say country, but Hong Kong is not country, and yeah, <laughs> it's not politically correct. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah, to yeah, just to keep the whole place stable in uh, uh, on a social level, the government would want to have as many young people um in the university as possible because in mm-hmm. that case they wouldn't cause any social problems. They wouldn't have to worry about oh what I'm going to do um in that three or four years. But then after you graduate, you still face the same challenges. Yeah, exactly. So there are still these um, discriminations, basically, yeah. based on which university you're coming from, which background you're coming from. So it basically um, has a funny way of basically putting you back into where you were before and that kind of uh, social and economical status. Now, you did mention... Briefly, Hong Kong is not a country. <laughs> it's part of China. So it's described as a special administrative region of China. What does that mean exactly? So basically, um, every, every way of working in Hong Kong is different from China, basically. Um, how do I put it? For example, we have different languages. In Hong Kong, we speak Cantonese. In China, you speak Mandarin. And yeah, at some point, um, after the handover, Hong Kong people, Hong Kong students would, I mean, they started being required to, to study uh, Mandarin as well. Uh, I also speak Mandarin, but daily lives, we only use Cantonese. And when it comes to writing, we write traditional Chinese and Chinese people write simplified Chinese. And legal systems, we, we, we are using the common law system um, from the UK, basically like a bunch of um, UK countries, uh, um, former colonies, yeah, basically similar to them. But in China, you don't do that. I think China is kind of civil law, um, civil code, civil law, that kind of legal system. And um, yeah, I think it's a lot of, a lot of ways of working from the government level or from basically everyday life. Yeah, makes sense. Um, so with that said, is it then um, easy for um, folks who live in China, mainland China, let's call it, uh, to live in Hong Kong and maybe study and work and vice versa? Or are there any um, restrictions on that? On paper, they would still have to apply for work visa if they want to come to work in Hong Kong. But that oh, okay. requirement, mm-hmm. yeah, the requirement would be so much lower compared to, let's say, if you're from the US or from Europe or like basically a real expat, uh, a real outsider. Um, but you still have to apply for a visa. And, and also because Chinese people and Hong Kong people, we, we even have different passports. Okay. So it's, it's a very big difference already. <laughs> so in um, every sense, it's pretty much a different country. But yeah kind of on paper it's not really (laughs) yeah (laughs) and so i can imagine that's where a lot of the political issues also come to play can you tell me a little bit about that because i know that you you do have some political views (laughs) about what's happening in hong kong yeah i think maybe if you go all the way back to like maybe 20 or 30 years ago hong kong people back then they wouldn't necessarily think um there would be political conflicts between hong kong and china Mm-hmm. But I, I believe the conflicts all started very like growing very big and even bigger now. Um, maybe starting I would say twenty years ago around the nineties, yeah. Because um back then the British government had this um, they started having a lot of immigrants from Hong Kong. Basically, like a lot of Hong Kong people, they realized they uh, they realized that they didn't want to 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 actually be to be ruled by China, and then they would they would try to in like move to the UK but back then um the investment immigrate um, how do I put it like if you want to move to the UK usually you're on investment visa or work visa okay. but work visa is a completely different story but investment visa back then the requirement was so high like you have to have a lot of, like loads of money to actually mm. move to the UK um so back then I would say 20 years ago if your family moved to the UK, you would definitely follow because it was so difficult to move there. Maybe not just the UK, but also other countries as well. Right. It kind of like um, fits into the, the ideology that if you're born rich, 
then your next generation will also be rich and then the generation the next generation of your next generation will also be rich like basically your family will be rich forever because you have the privilege to actually leave hong kong and live in another country legally and work legally there and 20 years ago i think a lot of hong kong people started thinking about oh how how do i actually get out of this kind of social like class gap like if i'm i'm not born into a rich family how can i actually ever manage to get out of this poor like social class yeah yeah and and i think um in the recent 10 years um the most recent 10 years it was really become a very heated discussion because in 2012 if i remember correctly um the hong kong government and the chinese government i believe um they actually tried to um start a new school curriculum called the national education mm-hmm. so i don't know if you know but in china if you're a student you basically need to learn a bunch of like china loving stuff like you need to you need to every day you raise the national flag and then you have to cry in front of the the, the flag and then you have to like really praise your government praise your party something like that but in hong kong we don't do that and mm-hmm. and in 2012 um the government had this plan to okay let's put this as an an official school requirement curriculum. yeah oh, okay. so every student has ha- would have to to actually learn but of course like back then people already knew that it's not going to happen to like no yeah. we, we don't do that <laughs> even when we were ruled by the british government we didn't do that maybe like at some point we we had to sing the british anthem like once or twice per year but yeah. but that's it like we don't do that here um, but the government wouldn't listen. So, um, so if you you look back at twenty twelve, what happened in Hong Kong? There was also like social unrest, but compared to twenty nineteen, it was way smaller. And mm. and also in twenty twelve, it was mainly led by really like secondary school students because it would Im- it would have the the biggest impact on them. Impact because, on them, yeah, right? Because they were yeah. students, and and eventually they the government stepped down. Um, but they didn't really step down. They just divided the national education curriculum into very small parts and then they added those parts to your current curriculum. Like if you study and by Chinese, the government, do you mean the Chinese government or the government in Hong Kong? On paper it's the government in Hong Kong. But then <laughs> it's also like another political correctness like issue is the you know that the, the Hong Kong government is in fact driven by the Chinese government. Right, like they would say right. that oh we're separate, we're individual governments, but you know every action they take, um, they must be maybe they were advised by the Chinese government, right? Something like that. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah, that's that's all between like before twenty nineteen, and then twenty nineteen was the biggest um turning point, I would say. Yeah, because in twenty nineteen, um, basically a very young person, twenty something guy. Um, he was no one in Hong Kong, but he moved. Uh, he he traveled to Taiwan with his girlfriend, and then he murdered his girlfriend there. And okay, it sounds so irrelevant, but the impact mm. of this was actually huge because for Taiwan to be able to prosecute this person, Taiwanese would have to um, extradite this person from Hong Kong to Taiwan. But mm-hmm. then Hong Kong and Taiwan are not separate countries, yeah. so. Because on paper, Taiwan also belongs to China. Belongs so, to China, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So you can't extradite someone within your own country on paper. Mm-hmm. So China back then, uh, in 2019, they gave Hong Kong a solution without having to say Taiwan and Hong Kong are not part of China or whatever. They gave Hong Kong a solution. Basically, um, is to say that all the regions within China can extradite people like internally. But then okay. it would also open open up the issue of does it mean that if I say something bad about China in Hong Kong physically in Hong Kong, then China could also extradite me from Hong Kong to China to mainland China. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. We, people were basically um people started to be very worried about okay I don't think this is the only solution we 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 definitely have other solutions and also China on paper it belongs to. I mean, Taiwan on paper it belongs to China, but it's actually not China. So there must be some ways, some workarounds between just Hong Kong and Taiwan. 
But Hong Kong government, I mean, claiming to be individual, to be separate from the Chinese government, they wouldn't mm-hmm. take any other solution. They, they kept telling people that the only solution was to allow extradition within China, like among different regions in China. Yeah. And, and of course, people wouldn't believe Hong Kong government, they wouldn't believe Chinese government, and then mm-hmm. a lot of social unrest also um, um, happened, yeah. And I can imagine that, um, as you mentioned, the legal uh, sort of uh, um, gray zones, basically, are so varied when it comes to that. Because, um, of course, as as you mentioned, Hong Kong historically has a very different viewpoint of how they run their own country, let's call it, (laughs) right? and the the own their own legal system, their own um, you know education system, like you mentioned back in 2012 as well, um, and now it's being uh, put as part of the mainland China. There are a lot of uncertainties. I can imagine, um, like you said, what do you say? How do you? Is there a control on speech now? Is there control on press? Is there control on education? Is there control on? Um, criminal law, you know, all of that stuff, how do you uh, then resolve all of that? And we're we're talking about merely four years ago. This is not that long ago. Um, So with this kind of unrest that happened in 2019, was there, uh, from what you were explaining, there was no resolution, no real resolution, right? Because the um, Hong Kong government basically uh, bowed down (laughs) to the mainland government to say, okay, this, this is a solution and this is how we're going to uh, go from there. And there were huge protests back in 2019. And, and I think it went on to 2020 as well. Um, and maybe with with going into the pandemic, that kind of helped to maybe uh, get it to die down a little bit at that point, point. But what is the solution now and how has the political climate been since then? The solution from the government is actually very straightforward. They have this new law called the National Security Law. So basically, you can't say, I wanted to say, you can't say shit about China. But I don't know if this kind of word is allowed in your By all means, yeah. feel yeah, they free. Can't say, yeah. They can't say shit about China anymore. If you say any shit about China, not just saying shit about China, if someone says shit about China, you just reposted that, maybe that Facebook post. Or mm-hmm. you go on an online forum, you say something stupid, reposting someone or quoting someone else. They could also arrest you. They they already mm. did like arrest a lot of people. And mm-hmm. also, um, in Hong Kong, you have different levels of election, but we we never really get to like elect the um in the U.S. in the case of the U.S. it would be the president, but in Hong Kong we don't have the president. But mm-hmm. imagine you you can't elect your president. It would be a huge problem. Who who's gonna mm-hmm. run our country? Who's gonna be our leader? In Hong yeah. Kong, we're so used to this because we never have the chance to actually vote for someone who we want to um, to, to run the country, to run mm-hmm. Hong Kong. Yeah. And the, the, the two elections that would be actually relevant to like most Hong Kong people or like on, on a, an everyday life level would be the district, what's the official English name for that? But basically the district council election. Yeah, okay. and also the the lecto, the legislative, the legislative. How do you say that word? Legis, legis. The legislatives. Yeah, the, oh, legis- the legislative <laughs> party, or yeah. the legal party. The legis- yeah. Okay. Yeah, the legislative. <laughs> yeah, so these these would be the two, the only two elections that would actually be relevant to most Hong Kong people because they never get to to vote for other people that actually run the country. Run the legislators is yeah. what I was thinking. <laughs> Yeah, okay. So the legal yeah. party, basically. So you have a legal sector, um, and the other one was the... The district council. But okay. the district council, district is, council. Is, is kind of powerless. Okay. But uh-huh. in 2019, like um, in the middle of all the social unrest, all the protests, etc., there was also the district council election. So mm. everyone knows that, oh, it's not going to be important. But it's a very good way for you to just show your opinions, just to show kind of like show hands to your government saying that we mm-hmm. can we can decide what what the election can be something like that right. and then in that election actually like the the pro democracy party like all different parties but in the democracy um um camp they they 
won by very big landslide. Basically, the pro-government parties, they, they lost, they completely lost. Wow. And you guess what happened? Like three months, four months later, the government arrested all these people. It sounds very familiar <laughs> to me. Because <laughs> this is what's happened in Iran over and over again in the past four decades. Yes, so completely understand. Yeah. yeah. So I think I would say, yeah, this, the government solution is very straightforward to have the new law. But at the same time, um, you see all these people um, who, who wanted to actually change Hong Kong um, in a very official way. They wanted to get into the actual structure, the organization of the government, trying to mm-hmm. change it, not just taking it to the street, but change it from the internal. Um, mm-hmm. Still, they got arrested, and they yeah. got arrested, I believe, in January 2021, and now it's March 2023, and they're still in jail. Yeah, and yeah. they're still waiting, just waiting for the prosecution to finish. I I would say it's very likely that at the end of the prosecution, they will all get sentenced to maybe ten years in jail. But now, not even having that that um, not even having that sentence, they they are still in jail. They're, they're just waiting. Yeah. Just, so, they're just waiting indictment. Um, so then the people of Hong Kong clearly want something different. Um, do they also wish to have Hong Kong as its own separate country? Or do they just want to have a um, different ruling government under the mainland's ruling, but with more freedom? Yeah, it's also quite... Um, diverse within the let's say the pro-democracy camps because mm-hmm. in the pro-democracy camps you have younger people like myself we all believe in Hong Kong the fact that Hong Kong has to be independent to be like really free from the China um, government the Chinese ruling yeah. but you also have people from an older generation who actually enjoy the economic bloom in Hong Kong back in the 60s or 70s mm-hmm. They know what made Hong Kong so rich, so international. was not because Hong Kong was under the British ruling. It was actually because Hong Kong was the only gateway um, between China, this like very big market in Asia, and international countries and cities. Yeah. If Hong Kong lost China, Hong Kong wouldn't have any money. Hong Kong wouldn't be rich. Hong Kong wouldn't mm-hmm. be international anymore because who would go, want to go to... Hong Kong to work and live and and to pay high rent every month just to to be next to China if China mm. didn't give them money. So a lot of these people from an older generation, they didn't really believe in Hong Kong um, independence or any any term or any idea that would actually mean uh, Hong Kong would be separated from China fully. They would and, mainly look at it as a gateway, basically, as opposed to its own yeah, so country, they, these, yeah. these people, even if they, they were fully pro-democratic, they would still believe that Hong Kong would still have to be China. It's just that, can we make some kind of deal or negotiation with the Chinese government, and then they can let us have something, and then we can also give them something. But of course, young, younger people like me, we don't believe in that kind of shit, like <laughs> the Chinese government. <laughs> if, you, if you say yes to their demands, they would just keep demanding more and more. They would never back up. And of course, they take away the freedom that you are uh, wanting to get, basically. You want to have a certain kind of freedom, whether it's uh, social, economic, speech, press, you know, all of that that's uh, that's really regulated and governed by the mainland and uh, strictly uh, monitored. So that's understandable. You mentioned that 2019 affected you on a very personal level and... Are you comfortable talking about that? Yeah. Um, so what happened? Yeah. <laughs> so as I said, me and my siblings, like we 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 share the same background. Let's say because we are in the same family, we were born and raised together. Yeah. And we also share very similar political views, um, values that, for example, we we all believe that we shouldn't just stay um, in the kind of like privilege. Um, circle in society we should also try to reach out and change um, maybe to to help people who are in need and growing up we 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 kind of had a similar career path let's say we started working with international people but in different companies um, we we also have uh, had our very different uh, friends uh, circles of friends 
but still our values would eventually kind would be similar because we grew up together we we study pretty much the same thing we we looked at this kind of the same news every day growing up so we we had a very we have very similar ideology but then 2019 happened and my i would say my my point of view back then was um if we wanted to make a change if we wanted to support whatever protests that were happening we need to be part of it so i took part of it and i'm not going to sh- overshare details here i don't want to have like chinese cops knocking on my door too much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but i i couldn't say like i took part of it and and took part in it and and i believe like taking action is the very fundamental step for you to make any changes or propose any changes right but uh one of my sisters um she's she was only one year older than me so even age we're kind of similar yeah and she i would say she had um a slightly different point of view because um she she was the kind of people who who think that if we want to change something um we really should do it in a way that is communicated properly like everything is well documented like you have a new council or maybe a new group of people to be the leaders she's the kind of people who um um kind of how do i put it like very academic like Mm. she had all these ideologies yeah so i would say the outcome of the maybe the failure of 2019 would be for people like me i i would always believe we can always make changes again it's just it depends on when like for example personally i don't believe china would stay powerful forever at some point Mm. they're going to fail they're going to be broke and and then we can take a change take a chance and then make some changes Mm -hmm. but she my sister would be kind of the person that she she was really depressed she was really upset that we failed like 2019 didn't have a good result and then so many people were arrested like the basically the whole young generation in hong kong um is now like facing even more challenges and and Mm -hmm. hong kong as as a country as a city it also lost its own young generation no one young would would want to stay in hong kong anymore she was very hopeless she was very very depressed um frustrated in a way that um she kind of took the defeat personally it seems yes yes yeah and and also adding um other factors like for example as as i mentioned my family my parents are very traditional so they also had a lot of like basically they cast a lot of mental stress on us um Mm -hmm. disagreeing with us disagreeing with our values and our action etc and i i think a lot of these kind of things added up and eventually she took the decision to to end her life and mm. and the way she she ended her life was also very personal because she did it in our own home and she left us a very long like seven page letter to really explain to us um, why she's doing this um, it's not just an impulsive action it's not something that she suddenly decided to do on one morning it's not like that she really mm. took her time to think about all what i mean all that happened in 2019 and what was what could happen in in the next 10 years something like that and i think it really showed you i mean at least it showed me that um um yeah this place hong kong as a place as a country has no hope really because it couldn't it couldn't even um convince one person who who was once so hopeful in hong kong who loved hong kong so much to stay not just physically stay but just to stay as in like be alive if hong kong couldn't even convince this person how how could all of us or other other family members how could we actually stay here especially when um, one of her wishes like she told me um, before she made this decision and also she she said it again in that letter was she really wanted me to to try my luck and leave hong kong and yeah because mm, i think two three years ago um, prior to to 2019 i already had this like um, plan to maybe at some point try to get a job in europe something like that but for me i i was like just see what happens like you never know because i i still wanted to stay in hong kong to try to make this a nicer place a better better country 
But then um, for her, for my sister, she really thought that um, if she couldn't see any hope in Hong Kong, then I shouldn't stay in Hong Kong trying to find hope. Right. And yeah, I think it's, for, for me, I can like talk to people very comfortably about this now because to me, it's, it's not just something that is very sad, that is very um, yeah, upsetting for me, but also something that I need to tell people so they understand how bad it is in Hong Kong. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm so, so extremely sorry um, about your loss and about the fact that she couldn't find a way out uh, and, a fi- and find a way to live and possibly make any changes. For her, that was basically the, the end and the, the final point and the last straw when the, the protest didn't uh, basically give that sort of uh, feeling and that uh, the cause was basically defeated. And that's uh, really, it seems like personally um, had a huge impact on her, obviously, and um, caused her to make that decision. And that's extremely sad. And I'm very, very sorry about your loss. Did that then change the way that your parents felt about the situation in Hong Kong? Or are they still... um, viewing everything the same way do they still have the same point of view and uh, same ideologies and beliefs i think they're still grieving and they they don't think about all that old political hong kong china stuff anymore because mm-hmm. they're still grieving and of course like me and my other brothers and sisters we're all grieving but to to me for example i I still need to live my life. I cannot just stop my whole life yeah. forever because of this, especially when she also wanted me to, to, to leave Hong Kong, right. which I did. And, but for my parents, um, I think they still don't understand why she's doing this because to them, they never thought it was so hopeless. Mm. They never thought, they, they never really truly understood like, what drove her to do this like what was so frustrating that you had to do this like they were questioning like even after like they, they didn't actually get to see the whole letter because it, it would be like they, they wouldn't be able to 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 take it to to deal with it if we show yeah. them the, the letter like the, the physical letter so mm. we told them the gist like we, we avoided some details for example some details were like how how hopeless my my sister was like also uh, feeling when it came to the family matters, the family stuff. Of course, we avoided some details because, mm-hmm. yeah. It was just yeah. too much for them. Yeah. It's hard to and, fathom. Yeah. And for them, they, even after like hearing what, what we told them, like the gist of the letter, they, yeah. they still couldn't believe it. They, they were questioning it all the time. They were like, no, someone else must have told her to do this. Like she wouldn't make this decision by herself mm-hmm. um i think even like two years later to this day they're still not believing they're still grieving and they're still trying to find a better explanation yeah yep. and i i wouldn't say like any of the reasons itself could drive her to make this huge decision to end mm-hmm. her life but then you have a lot of different factors added together like family stuff like mental stress pressure from parents and, and very different um, political views or just yeah. like ways of thinking, ways of um, of living within the same family. And then also you have political um, disappointment, political frustration. I think a lot of stuff just added up and, and it's impossible for anyone to fully understand if you don't look at the bigger picture, if you only focus on one thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really difficult. There is a um, an unfortunate situation very similar to your sister's case that happened a few months ago in France um, with all of the protests that are happening in Iran uh, and have been for the past almost six months now. Um, an Iranian um, resident of uh, in, in in France decided to take his own life and. Uh, in a sort of a similar um, 
I guess, fashion as your sister uh, did with the letter and explaining the the reasoning why he um, had videotaped himself, explaining the reasons and why he felt this kind of mental stress and pressure and um, that it was necessary for him to take his own life to actually raise awareness about what is actually happening in Iran. And uh, in a sense, it feels like your sister was trying to also make it more pronounced and well-known to the rest of the world, even if that rest of the world was just her family, maybe her parents to open their eyes and be a bit more uh, conscious about what's happening politically, socially, economically, also at a very personal and individual level for her. Um, and maybe that would be the basically the goal that she had of her life. And I don't know if that was the goal, but I hope that she reached the goal with, with that decision. It's extremely difficult for us to understand when somebody makes that decision because obviously there's nothing more valuable than one's life. And when that life is taken away, there's... There's so much, as you mentioned, grief and uh, so many questions that we can't answer. And we probably will never be able to answer those questions because you're not that person and you're not the, the individual who's making that decision. And that that's a difficult decision. Um, I'm sure that was a very difficult decision for her to make, um, but also for, for everybody around her to now has to live with that decision and at some point, maybe make peace with it, or maybe you never make peace with it. And that's extremely sad. And I'm yeah. extremely sorry. Yeah, I think um, that's why, how, how do I put it? That's why, like, even after I moved to Europe, I've met so many friends um, or people who truly have no idea what is happening in Hong Kong, what, what's yeah. the thing with Hong Kong and China, etc. And every time I... I would actually try to explain as much as possible because to me it's kind of it, it kind of feels like it's my it's my job it's my duty to to Education. actually yeah to to tell people what's happening not yeah. just because I'm from Hong Kong not just because I'm I'm still like very invested in the Hong Kong politics etc but also because if my sister decided to do that and and that I, I simply think that it would mean that I have to carry on in some ways yeah I would have yeah. to I, I have to carry on living. Um, I, it's not really living her life, but just to carry on and the try legacy. to, yeah, yeah, try to spread um, her beliefs, her values, even after she's no longer here. And mm -hmm. I, I know, like the majority of people in 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 the West, in the in Europe or in the US, they simply don't really care that much about about Asia or, or about Hong Kong or what is happening with China, Taiwan, etc. But I think yeah. for me, it's like, even if people don't care, maybe I can still like just trying to like subtly educate them here and there. For example, in the workplace, like whenever people say that I'm from China, I always correct them. Not China. Hong Kong. <laughs> <laughs> and I think sometimes they, they, they would actually get confused, like, but Hong Kong is just like China. And then um, most of the time I can prove them wrong, like very easily because the, the moment I usually when I tell people, Oh, but Hong Kong people and Chinese people, we don't even have the same passport. And then they, they will mm. immediately kind of realize, oh, it's really different than if you don't yeah. even have the same passport. Yeah. But of course, I, I also realize it's not that big a deal to most people in Europe or in Netherlands, etc. So mm. I, I also try to overdo it. I try to avoid overdoing it because when you overdo it, people will just stop talking to you about it. Yeah. 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 Which is uh, unfortunate as well because I think if we take every opportunity to learn something about what's happening somewhere else in the world, because in, in so many ways, we're so very much connected to each other. And um, if, if I learned something about your struggles in Hong Kong, uh, that also helps me understand some of the struggles that I'm dealing with, with all of the events that are happening in Iran. And um, the, this whole situation with your sister and um, this individual in, in France who took his own life, it was very... Um, tragic and it was just so extremely difficult for me to understand like, why would somebody do that why would you not use other ways to um 
to make your voice heard and to raise awareness about it. And it, in some ways, it actually connected some dots for me and made it a bit more understandable for me. So I appreciate you sharing this and, and um, explaining what were the surrounding uh, facts uh, that basically caused your sister to take her own life. And it helps me to understand and have a better, um, not appreciation, but at least a sense about what somebody is going through to then make them come up with this decision and basically act on it. Um, so I really appreciate you talking about it so freely and and also just giving me the background to to have a better understanding. Now, to to go to the less, I guess, important part of it, now that you're living in the Netherlands, would you still consider Hong Kong your home? Would you still identify yourself as somebody who comes from Hong Kong? You said you were born and raised there, but has that, everything that's happened there, especially with your sister and now that you're moving away, and I'm assuming it changed your point of view about change as well um just the idea of change that yes there's still other opportunities yes things can change yes things are not the same forever did that change it for you i think i i might be like one of the most devoted people you will ever meet in your life about hong kong <laughs> like that answers so many questions <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I really believe that because like so many of my friends, they also moved to the UK. Um, um, they also moved to other parts of the world because of what happened in 2019. Yeah. And a lot of them, they started slowly like dropping off, not necessarily their memories, but they just mm. stopped, um, for example, reading all Hong Kong news, all that merch, etc. But for me, I think this part, um, this let's say cultural part um, that is from Hong Kong or... Um, just the language, for example, like speaking Cantonese for me is, it, to me, is like extremely important. And mm -hmm. and even if I'm not speaking Cantonese every day now, I still try to read something in Cantonese, write something in Cantonese every day. Because to me, um, this kind of connection to Hong Kong is very important to me in a way that if I forget that, um, does it mean that I will forget some parts of my life? Because, mm -hmm. for example, this part of um, this let's say this history of Hong Kong is connected to what happened to my sister. And yeah. I wouldn't want to, like, if I have children in, in 20 years when my children grow up, they ask me, oh, why did, why did she do this? Like, why did she make this decision to, to do mm -hmm. whatever she did? And I don't want to be unable to explain it to them in a way that they would also see, oh, she ended her life because there's no hope. And yeah. yeah, I think this kind of connection and, and remembrance is very important to me, um, not mm -hmm. just because I, I love this place, this country so much, but also because I think it's my responsibility to remember that. And, and yeah, and I, of course, like when it comes to trying to make a change, of course, something would definitely change because, um, for example, I'm not physically in Hong Kong, I can't really take it to the street. I can't, right. I can't really like cast my vote to change the district council or whatever. But here I think it's different in a way that maybe I can, I can encourage or like drive people around me to understand about Hong Kong, to see what is happening in China, what is China also trying to do maybe to the rest of the world. Yeah. And of course, it's, I, I wouldn't be powerful enough to do that in Europe. I'm, I'm nobody in Europe. But if I could just make one person in Europe to understand what's happening, then it's already one small change, like extremely small, but small change. Yeah. yeah. I think and, um, yeah. it's important as individuals uh, to, to help others... Um, learn of course something about our background and our original culture maybe or whatever it is and even if it's one person like you said that you're telling them something about hong kong and what is happening and even sparking a 
conversation or a spark a conversation rather um, and get them to think about it and maybe talk to some other people about it and it just grows that way so I never think that um, oh you know who cares about what I think I'm just one person and um, I'm I don't have much power you'd be surprised how that one drop causes this wave to to happen in a bigger sea and hopefully the ocean and um, raises awareness and raises the understanding of what other people are dealing with in their day-to-day life and also um, in other parts of the world. How are they affected by these decisions and by these uh, kinds of treatments and so on? So I I do think that it's important um, why I'm doing it, <laughs> not just to s- snoop into your life, but also to to help me understand and learn something new. I learned so much today that I can now share with my circles and then they can share hopefully with their circles, but also to put it out there for everybody to, to learn about your personal experience and also about the spirit experience of maybe millions of other people, not just in Hong Kong, but in other parts of the world that are sharing similar experiences. So I really would like to commend you <laughs> and Thank you for doing this because this this is important and I, I am really passionate about it. So really appreciate that. Thank you so much, Agnes, for joining me today and um, sharing some very, very personal uh, stories with me. I know it's not easy, but I thank you for being here. Yeah, <laughs> thanks for having me. Yeah. yeah, let's see how many people would start to be like interested in Hong Kong after this. <laughs> I yeah, hope many. Making, yeah, <laughs> making one person understand is already a change. I mean, a change that is worthy for me. Yeah. Absolutely, definitely, and um, it will. Because more, I, I'm, I'm hoping more than one person listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> so far, it's proven itself that more than one person listens. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> thank you so much, Agnes. I'll uh, talk to you soon, hopefully, and uh, have a great rest of the day. Thank you, you too. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoy these conversations, please don't forget to follow my podcast. If you have any feedback, please leave a comment. And if you would like to become a guest on this podcast, please contact me. Until next time, I wish you well.